We're talking today about your story. And uh, the good news is, in relationship to your story, is that it's still in progress. And every one of us has a story to this point in time. And as you take your notes today, I want you to know that we're going to kind of be doing this for the next month. We're actually going to have you a folder that was supposed to be here already, but it didn't make it today, and it's going to be here tomorrow, just one day late. And so when you come back next Sunday, there's going to be a storytelling folder that you can put the notes you keep today and the notes you keep over the next three weeks. So we're talking about telling your story, and uh, it's, it, it's storytelling, th- those things that we have done well, we're really glad to talk about. Maybe somewhere back there you set a goal, and you reach that goal, and you like to tell that part of your story. Maybe there was a burden or a crisis in your life, and, and you prayed, and you got through that crisis, you overcame that burden, it was a success story. Maybe you're doing really well at, at work, and, and you like to tell that part of your story. Uh, my son came home the other day, and I said, son, how are your grades? He said, dad, I got all A's. We talked about that for an hour. I mean, that's a good part of the story. And there are hundreds of things, thousands of things, as you look back over your life, that you're glad to share with anyone. You want people to know, here's what I did. Uh, I I like to get with folks when they start to tell funny stories about their life, embarrassing moments, or or more often than not, when they tell about their spouse, or, or their, I like to tell stuff about you all when I get out. Stuff that's happened that's funny, that's unique good parts of the story. But there are other parts of our story, as Ken already alluded to, that we'd rather keep quiet. There are some things that have happened we don't want anybody to know. There are some things we're not very proud of. There are some things about our story that honestly we're ashamed of. And whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's built upon itself to make us who we are today. And very small, seemingly insignificant decisions can literally change the direction of our lives. Maybe you happened into a store one day And you ran into somebody that became a very instrumental person in your life. Maybe you decided to go to work here instead of there, and somehow or another it's fashioned your life. Maybe you were uh, uh, walking down the hall at school, and this beautiful young man caught your eye, or beautiful young woman caught your eye, And just because you were in that place at that time, you crazily fell in love, and now you're sitting beside them here at church. Seemingly small, insignificant decisions, everyday decisions, practical decisions can change your life. All of us can say, well, I would be here instead of there, or this would have happened, this wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been there, or I'd done that, or I hadn't said hello to that person, whatever. 
So I want you to know that even being here today, which you decided to come instead of whatever else you may have done, maybe being here today will be the moment in time and the place where your story starts to look different. Happens to all of us. That was a tough time in my life about 13 years ago. Gone through a divorce that I didn't necessarily want. And, and uh, you know, when you're in trouble and you have issues and there are problems, instead of blaming yourself, what do you usually do? Blame somebody else. Blame anybody else. And if you can't find a likely candidate to blame, where do you go next? You blame God. And I'd gone through a divorce, and I wasn't preaching at that point in time. And, and a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Doug Reichel, calls me up. And, and you know, Doug is a pastor of the church we help in Montana. And at that point in time, he was starting to pastor a church across the river in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And Doug is the kind of guy that you can say no to, but he won't listen. Do you know people like that? You can say no over and over again, and, and somehow they still think you've said yes. You know people like that? Come on. So Doug called me up, and he said, I'm getting ready to be installed at a church over in Indiana, and I'm, I'm going to have an installation, kind of an ordination service. Will you come and preach? And I said, Doug, I don't preach. I'm never going to preach again. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't even like God right now. I'm not going to preach. I'm not even going to come to church if I don't have to. He said, good, what time can you be here? <laughs> I said, Doug, I'm not going to do it. He called me the next day. Went through the same conversation. Then he called the third time, and I said, if you will leave me alone, I'll come over there, and I'll say something. But don't count on it being good. He said, you come. So grudgingly, a couple of weeks later, I got dressed up, went back to church, got up before a group of people, and talked about how God can use someone in ministry. And as I carried out that duty, there happened to be a guy who sat about seven rows back, who Doug had already been talking to, who was the area minister for the churches in Ohio. And so he walked up to me after the service is over, and he said, I've got really good news for you. I have a church that needs a pastor, and I have already, while you've been talking, got on my phone and emailed them your resume. I said, are you nuts? Should have been listening, shouldn't he? Well, I'd never heard of Hillsborough, Ohio. Had no clue where it was. I just knew that it wasn't in Kentucky, and I didn't want to go. This guy had given them my resume. That night, I went home, went to bed. The next morning, I wake up. There's a large box of stuff on my porch with information about Hillsborough and that church. I mean, the next morning. I thought God had dropped it there from heaven. I found out later that the chairman of their search team worked for Airborne overnight. And it was as if I had no choice. The momentum kept flowing, and before I knew it, I was living in Hillsborough in exile from all that was good and right. Couldn't even get the Kentucky Wildcats on the television up there. And that decision has led me to this place today. That darn Doug Reichel, every time I think about it. 
And each of you could tell a story like that where one choice, one decision, one right thing or one wrong thing, one moment in time, it sounds like a commercial, doesn't it? Literally changed your story. Decisions that you, you make today are going to determine the story that you tell in five years. 10 years, 20 years. Going to determine the story that you tell tomorrow in the future. So my question to you, foundational to this series, is how do you live a life? How do you write a story that you're proud to tell? And I believe the starting point for that story, for, for that story to be one that you can be proud of, for, for that story to be one that, that you know is designed for you by God. I believe the starting point is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And here's what it says. Looking unto Jesus who is the, what's that next word there? Author. Who's the storyteller? Who's the writer of your story? Looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher. Some of your translations might read perfecter. I like that even better. Who makes your story perfect in his eyes. Who helps you to finish well with your story, who's the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. When you see that word endure, it simply means he stuck to it. He finished the story. His story was finished on Calvary and at Easter. Our story will be finished when we meet him in eternity someday. So the scripture says this, if you want the story, a story that you can be proud of, then there has to be a co-author. And that co-author of your story is Jesus. And when you listen to him, when you follow his guide, his leading, then your story will start to look better. So we're going to do some very specific things over the next month. Today's sermon message is this. I have decided to start. I've decided to start. Write that little word start down. And and when I talk about starting, I'm thinking about here's a discipline in my life that I'm going to make sure that I do. Here's an action I'm going to take I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be persistent. I have decided to start. We're also going to talk next week. This will be the one that you need to bring people. uh, Make sure they hear if they're doing something you don't like. Okay? If you're married to somebody and they irritate you, bring them here next week. And if you're seeing yourself getting brought, then you'll know that you got an issue too, right? I decided to stop. Here's some things in my life that if my story is going to be good, I need to stop. 
I decided to stay week three. Sometimes it's a lot easier to run than it is to stay, isn't it? We talk about that in in relationship to relationships. Sometimes it's easier to go than stay. Sometimes it's easier not to be at church than to come, not to stay in church. Lots of things we want to escape. I decided to stay. And then finally, week four, I decided to go. And I want you to know that in all of our lives, if we're going to tell our story the way that we want it to go, there are going to be some times when we have to take leaps of faith. There are going to be some times that we have to decide when it would be easier to stay that we're going to go. So we fix our eyes upon God. We determine whether or not to stay or to go, what we need to start and what we need to stop. But that's too much for one week. So we're going to look at exactly today what you need to stop. And here's what I want you to think about. There's a question in your outline that I want you to respond to. I want every person here to pick up something to write with. And right there it says, what do you think God wants you to want? What do you think that God wants you to want? And all of us have some kind of God impression in our heart. God, what is it that you want me to want? We could talk about a hundred things that that might be a burden in our life. That might be a barrier or an obstacle that we need to overcome. Let me just offer a few suggestions while you're answering that question. Maybe God wants you to want financial freedom. Amen? That's not a bad thing. God wants to enable you to get past the bills and the burdens and the financial issues in your life. He wants you to have the capacity to be a tither, to be a giver, to be generous in what you have. God wants you to have financial freedom. He wants you to be able to sleep at night instead of worrying about bill collectors. Maybe God wants you to get in better shape physically. Let's not linger on that one. Maybe, maybe God wants you to have a better marriage. Maybe God wants you to have different priorities where you find spending time with your kids valuable, more valuable than other activities that might rob you of that joy. Maybe God wants you to cease to be selfish to quit thinking about yourself all the time and begin to sacrifice yourself for others. Maybe God wants you to move past depression. God wants to just fill your life with real joy. Do you, anybody here actually believe that God said, I want to make this person and I want to be sure they're miserable? (laughs) I don't think so. I think God desires joy in our life. And I have to be honest, there are days where I don't have that joy. Where I don't want it bad enough, I think. Maybe God wants you to move past an addiction. Something in your life that, that is literally robbing you of, uh, of your peace. And you know that you need to stop this and move on. But somehow or another, whatever that, that habit or that addiction is, has a great power in your life. 
I'm not sure what it is that God wants you to want, but I know for all of us there's something. There's something that we need to do to begin to write our story differently. Whenever I think about what God wants for me and I uh, have to decide to start a discipline in order to make that happen, I think about Daniel. Remember his story? Uh, there's some scripture written down for you, and it's going to be on the screen. And, and Daniel has been taken into captivity, living uh, in, in Babylon. King Darius is, is the ruler at that time. And, 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 and Daniel, somehow or another, with his faith and his ingenuity and his intellect, has risen as, as, as this guy who came as a refugee to the up, upper part of the government. There are 120 different governors under King Darius, and Daniel's one of the top three guys. And when you're kind of near the top in leadership, people can get jealous of you. So the other guys, they were jealous of Daniel and what had happened in his life, and they realized that there was no way that they could find any fault. In fact, it says that there in the Scripture. No charge, no fault, because Daniel had been faithful. He didn't do things that he shouldn't have done. So they determined that they would go to King Darius and they would appeal to his ego. Anybody here have an ego? You can raise your, thank you, Scott and I are proud of ourselves. That's it. He appealed to the king, his ego. They said, hey, king, you're the man. You are the best that's ever been. And here's what we need to do thinking of a way all the while to trip up Daniel. Here's what we need to do. Everybody who's praying, worshiping, looking towards the gods, instead of that, we all need to start to worship you because you're the man. And if anyone worships anything or anyone besides you, let's toss them in to the lion's den. Remember that story? Come on now. You went to Sunday school back in the day, didn't you? Remember that? Lion's den. You ever been near a lion? That's why I don't like any cat, because it could get that big someday and have teeth that big. And Daniel, here's what the Bible said. Look at it. The Bible said that he got down on his knees after he heard the decree about Darius and lions, that he came home and he did what he had always done. He got down on his knees, not once a day, not twice a day, but three times a day, and he worshiped God in prayer. He talked to his God. He did it right in front of the window, pointed towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees, and he prayed. Well, you know what happened next? They burst into the room. He wasn't hiding it. They came and they told Darius about it, and Daniel was taken to the lion's den. What happened, guys? He made friends with the lions. He made friends with the lions. What do you need to, to start today? What do you need to do to be as disciplined as Daniel was? 
You answered that question, what does God want me to want? And now I want you to answer this question. But I want you to answer it with just one thing. When I started to think about what could I start today that would make my story different in five years, I thought of at least 75 things. If you write down more than one thing, you'll not manage it this week. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to covenant with me to write down one discipline. It could be to diet. It could be to pray more. It could be to cut up a credit card. It could be to think of happy thoughts when you start to feel sad. It could be to lock the liquor cabinet. Whatever it is. One thing. I'm going to start this today. I'm going to allow the author and perfecter, finisher of my story to help me to do this one thing, one thing. As you're writing, I want you to reach into the place where you store your phone. And I want you to pull it out. Don't say, oh, I don't bring my phone to church. (laughs) Pull the phone out. And if you don't have your phone with you or you think phones are stupid or, or whatever, then I want you to write this on your paper. Hebrews 12.2, our foundational verse. I want you to write 12 dot dot colon there. I don't know if you could say colon in church. 12.02. And every day this week at 12.02, set this alarm to go off then if you need to, or write it in your head. Find a way not to forget Every day at 12.02, I want you to pause whatever you're doing. Most of us will be eating. And I want you to pray about this one thing in your life. I want you to make sure the author and the finisher of your faith helps you to write the story. Not only do I want you to pray about your decision And your starting item, I want you to pray that everyone has the power of God in their life. And I want you to pray for me. You can do that every day. And if you're a night person and you're awake at 12.02 a.m., pray again. Pray for sleep because you should be in bed. Can you imagine what God's going to do if all of us are praying together about the same thing at the same time? Satan is going to lose his power at 12.02, and it may not come back till 12.30. Will you promise to do that? Wow, thank you for that ringing promise. Will you promise to do that? Amen? We're going to do this all month. Get used to it. I'm going to start this one thing, and at 12.02 every day, I'm going to pray about it. There's another great story that's in the Scripture that kind of speaks to where we're at today. It's in 1 Kings chapter 20. And here's here's the story behind the point. 
King Ahab was the king of Israel at that time. Remember Ahab? We talked about he and his wonderful wife, Jezebel. King Ahab is the king of Israel. They are doing battle against the Syrians under the leadership of a guy by the name of Ben-Hadad. And their armies are encamped on either side of the valley. And the Israelite army really is kind of puny as compared to the Syrians. And so God sends a prophet to speak to King Ahab, the military leader. And he says to him, we're going to give you, God's going to give you the victory. God is going to allow you to win this battle. And King Ahab is at best skeptical. So we ask a couple of questions. The first one is this. Who's going to win this battle for us? Because it ain't going to be me, basically. Who's going to win this battle? And the prophet said, God said that the young men, the young leaders in your army are going to win the battle. So King Ahab thinks about that for a minute, and he said, well, then, who's going to start this big deal? Who's going to start the battle? Who's going to set it in order? And the prophet looked at King Ahab, and I want you to picture this scene, because I think that the prophets have scary, these eyes that bore right into your spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of a freaky-looking prophet dude. And he said, Ahab, you are. Now, when the minute that you wrote on your paper, here's what I'm going to start. I believe Satan began to use his mighty army to put an end to your insistence on starting something new. Because Satan wants your story to be ruined. So many times in my life when I try to stop, when I try to start, when I try to sense and feel the power of God, when I want to overcome whatever burden I'm dealing with, and I, and, and I know in my heart if I could just start this, it feels like the army of evil has come upon me. When I want to have hope, when I want to have joy, it feels like doom has set in on So do you hear the voice of God saying, you're going to start this battle? There's nothing that can defeat you. You're going to start this battle. Do you hear the voice of God saying, you can do it? You hear that voice? So let me ask you, who's going to start this battle today? Who's going to start the battle? I am. You are. Even the people in the balcony are going to get help. You're going to start the battle, guys. Thank you, Troy. You're the leader up there. You're in the back. Who's going to start this battle? Come on, I'm looking at you now. You think you can hide back here. Who's going to start the battle? Because listen to me, guys, if every single person in this room overcomes the obstacles, slaps Satan in the face, God's going to do some magical, wonderful, mysterious, blessed things 
in our life, I'm going to stomp Satan down to the ground this week. I'm going to start something new. And Julian, my story is going to be different by next week. Why does this matter? Guys, why does it matter? Because one day we're going to stand before God. And when we stand before God, we're going to be naked. Now, I'm not talking about naked. I need to say this different. We're in Kentucky. Naked. I'm not going to be talking about naked without clothes. We're going to be bare spiritually before God. We're going to be armed with just one thing. Our story. Here's what I chose to do. Here's what I chose not to do. Here are my mistakes. Here are my victories. Here's my story. And for those of you who chose well, who chose Jesus, who chose the author of your story to be Jesus, somewhere along the way, God's going to interrupt your story. Matter of fact, I I see Jesus standing from his position in the throne and saying, wait a minute. We don't need to hear any more. I helped write that story. I helped write that story. This is one of ours. And if that story ends with you walking through the gates of heaven, it's a story worth telling. A story worth telling. Who's going to start? I hope you are. And I hope you won't allow anything to stop you. It's a process. Just do today what you can. Because that will enable you to do tomorrow what you haven't been able to do today. Just start. Just start. Just take the first step to this altar. Just say, I'm not going to let my life look this way anymore. I am going to take my life out of Satan's hands. Just start. Just start. Pray with me. Father, we come to this place of, of response. There are voices calling out to us to just just leave like you are. Don't do anything different. Nothing can change. Your stories look this way for a long time. It can't get any better. Nothing can change. And yet in the midst of those voices, we can feel and sense and hear yours. There's hope. There's real joy. The story doesn't have to look this way. 
I can help you write a new one. I can help you start something fresh today, something different, something lasting, eternal even. Yes, I can, God says. Father, give us the capacity to hear only you right now. Only you. Maybe you're asking us today to come to you for the first time. And there are folks in this room who don't know that they're headed to heaven, who've never followed you, never trusted you as Savior. There are others in this room who, whose life story is not at all what they wanted or expected, and they seem so far from you. You've given us a fresh paper, new hope, and a different story today. Whatever it is, Father, give us the power to live a story that we'll be proud of and that will honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I invite you to come to the altar. It's a place of strength and courage. It's a place of wisdom. It's a place of life change. You come. Maybe you'd like to be a member of this church. I'd like you to be. Maybe you'd like to be baptized and start a life of Christ. Nothing more important than that. You come as we sing. Come to this place of communion. Have a moment where you say thank you to God for being your Savior, for being the author, finisher of your faith. Share and communion with one another. Whatever it is God asks you to do, just be obedient. He'll change your life. He'll change your story.